Hello and welcome to an immortal edition of Criterion. Uh, close up, immortal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I didn't you find that device? I, I I mailed it to you via UPS. It didn't show up on your doorstep. No, but you the know, gold I did, egg thing. I did go trick or treating and I got a bunch of Reese's cups and a little bit of candy corn. And who gives candy corn really? Um, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, uh, but I did have this uh, this yellow bug that I'm really curious about. Uh, huh? Want to check it out? It's like a mechanical bug. Really? I wonder what that does. Uh, probably kills uh, you. Or probably uh, turns you into a vampire. I, I'm just guessing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a, a giant bug in there that you know filters your blood and makes you immortal. Yeah. Obviously. What obviously. else could it do? I mean, come on. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff. I, I really, I, I want to get one of those to put it on my shelf uh, someday. It's just, yeah, really cool. Yeah, I'd have to look into the uh, the Del Toro merchandising and see if there was any. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking probably not much uh, since right. knowing how this movie did, but who knows? Yeah, I, I think it, I, I'm jumping ahead, but I think there was. Um, I heard after the the end of the production that they they lost a lot of the um, someone from the movie stole a lot of the props. So really? If you happen across something, it might be worth something. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it, which is weird with all the stuff he's got in in Bleak House. Um, again, jumping ahead, uh, <laughs> you, you'd think most of that is there, but yeah, yeah, someone from the production swiped it. I sent a challenge. Uh, there might be a Kronos toy out there. Uh, yeah. I, well, if anybody knows of one, let's uh, let us know. I, I'm not usually into those kind of figurine kind of things, but I, I think I would buy a Kronos toy. That so. would be cool to have. Yeah, put it on your your mantle, or you know, and of course, try it out. You know, see if it actually causes immortality yeah i'm gonna put it in my bleak house <laughs> right yeah we're already yeah. podcasting what happened <laughs> i know i know i love it it's great well we're here on criterion close-up episode number 55 and we are of course talking about chronos and the chronos device our first guillermo del toro film um that's the sound of the chronos device isn't it exactly yeah that was yeah. the chronos device i, I brought it out of my <laughs> trick-or-treat bag nice background so yeah, and we, we uh, you know, we're probably not going to delve into this film as much as we do in some others, um, a little bit lighter, but we, we will talk about Chrono uh, some. So yeah, we're, we're going to lighten discussion. up. Yeah, you had VTIF, and I had I was out of town, so uh, we, and, and this disc is stacked, as we'll uh, get into, so we, um, right. yeah, we're going to just talk about stuff. Yeah, <laughs> about talk about immortality. Immortality, and time, and stuff. And time, <laughs> and grandparents and those kinds of things mm-hmm. so first wanted to thank jessica and dave last week for uh, on our last show for talking about house house yeah they were a blast uh in fact uh, you know I, I edit these shows and i i hear them and i also test them afterward and sometimes you know it's even though i i think we do a good job i think we have a a, a decent show um it's sometimes it's hard to listen to yourself you know that's just the yes. the the psychological aspect but i actually Agreed. really really enjoyed listening to all of us on the house episode i, I and and i actually played it for my wife on our little road trip and she laughed uh, she's never seen house so um so yeah, I'm she glad. She found it entertaining. That's good. It, I think it was. So uh, yeah, and I, yeah. a lot of that was Dave and Jessica. They they were really Absolutely. fun. Uh, both of them. Yeah, had... we're we're not the entertaining ones. No, we're no. bringing <laughs> the guests for the entertainment. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So it's just you and I. So uh, sorry, audience. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should just stop. See you later. Yeah, right, I'm done. Dave, <laughs> Dave's not here. Uh, Cheech and Chong reference. Um, anyway, nice. And uh, and I, I actually after the episode, uh, I looked for the opportunity to wear the house shirt in public and I, I was going to wear it for Halloween but 
Monday and all, and I just didn't do anything for Halloween. Oh. So, uh, but next year I, I have an idea uh, how nice. to wear house. I'm actually wearing it right now. You are, you are. I, I love your you're wearing the colors. I actually wore it last night for uh, the last screening that uh, I went to for Vita. So sweet, yeah. Probably a good transition into <laughs> yeah. You you were at Vita. Uh, so for people that didn't hear Carnival of Souls, that's uh, the Vermont International Film Festival, right? And, Correct. Uh, and you yep. went and and had a, a festival butt. I had festival, but uh, of sorts, I was, uh, it, I, it's funny, I've never actually been to a real film festival, like done the whole festival thing, go to tons of movies, don't get enough to eat, don't get enough sleep, <laughs> all that stuff. I, I don't even know if I could, but um, this has been something that I've seen the past few years. I've been going Vermont International Film Festival. It's, uh, it's just that. It's international films. I mean, the summer U.S.-based. Um, and they have a they try to do a 50/50 mix of fiction and documentary um, there are um, you know they do probably I don't know anywhere from like a shorter day is like five movies to you know 10 in a, in a given day you know some overlapping it's a small venue really just two theaters um, and there are you know some they'll have some filmmakers there they have some nice receptions you know they do the whole uh, filmmaker you know, international festival thing and it's a it's a great venue one of these one of the nights there was just this gorgeous red uh sunset as you overlook the lake because you know the film house that it's in looks overlooks lake champlain so it's a really nice venue good place to go cool cool yeah so. I, i've done a few film film festivals i'd like to do a big one like like toronto or sundance or something exactly um and yeah. actually I, we, we had fun uh, doing the portland international film festival with uh with criterion cast earlier this year I, I we didn't do it on the podcast but i think we each wrote some articles for it so right um, yeah, it was fun to participate you know from afar yeah yeah, yeah. so uh so Agreed. yeah I, I guess we'll talk about some of what you saw when we do our short takes this week yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's the the festival thing. It it it's certainly energizing for. I just wanted to comment on that. You know how it um, made me excited to see films. I don't get to, you know as a parent, I don't get to see a lot of movies in the theater, so I caught like I don't know six or seven. Cool. So it was fun to kind of do that and also connect with people that I may only see once a year. You know, at the festival yeah. and people that I see more often talk movies. Mm -hmm. You know, they had some beer and some food there, so it's nice to just be in that atmosphere, you know, as long as, uh, as long as I'm there. So, good yeah. times. Yeah. My memory of festivals is, is kind of the same. Even if it's people you don't know, uh, there's a heavy social aspect, people talking about films between, yeah. uh, you know, getting coffee, lunch with people. And, and it, yeah, I think when you're in this circle of uh, similar tastes, people just, uh, are, are nicer to each other. Yeah. Be nicer yeah, to each easy. other. <laughs> if, if there's a yeah. message for 2016. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice. Be nice. Well, yeah, it's, it's easy, easy conversation because you, you know, you have a built in, uh, connection, right. you know, you're, you're there to watch movies. Something so. in common, uh, something to talk about and uh, yeah, kind of like what we're doing right now. You can do that uh, exactly. in the movie houses. Yeah. I got to plug the podcast a little bit too. give out a, a card and, you know, tell some people to check out Criterion. So yeah, little close up, little plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good job. Yeah. Always fun. Nice marketing, sir. Of course. <laughs> 
So yeah, let's uh, we'll transition into some. Uh, we do some short takes before we get into Chronos, and of course, mine will be all based on new movies that are uh, either not out yet or coming soon that I I saw at the festival. And since we're coming close off the heels of Halloween, uh, a little more on the horror uh, avenue for what I was. Uh, I did see a couple of horror-ish films. Um, they aren't straight horror at VTIF, but right. um, certainly related. But not a lot of slasher one, films, right? <laughs> no, no, exactly. except for Phantasm, right? Right. Yep. I didn't actually get to Phantasm. They did show the restoration of that, which mm-hmm. was well attended, although it was oh, free. Um, Ravager was the, f- I think, the fourth movie that mm-hmm. just came out. It was not well attended. Oh, um, yeah, I heard it yeah. wasn't wasn't very good. I mean, the trailer made it look like a B movie. So, yeah, so, uh, I just won't yeah. say anything <laughs> about sequels. <laughs> yeah. So the one, uh, the first movie I saw actually was on Sunday. This is a little bit of a change from. Um, I mean, a wide variety of movies. They had a, they had some that were kind of a. They focused on a lot of Cuban films, although I don't know if I actually caught any Cuban films. Interesting. Um, yeah. But I did see a film called The Interrogation, um, and this is one that I had sought out. It was actually one of the programming folks who introduced the film had recommended, and I he and I have similar taste. He's a Criterion guy, so oh, cool. um, you know, kudos to it's uh, Luke Baines. If Luke ever listens, kudos to you, Luke. Kudos, um, Luke. <laughs> this was may uh, the criterion be with you. I'm sorry, he probably gets it all the time. <laughs> nice. Uh, this one is it's based on the memoirs, the interrogation, the memoirs of Rudolf Haas, which is uh, he's the longest serving commandant at Auschwitz, and it's a uh, it's examination of him um, again based on his memoirs and how it gets it gets into the complexities of the these characters i i think it really does it's a very slow film uh, it has a bookend of shots uh really with the interrogator um before and after the interrogation so to speak and su- surprisingly you know you ask the question can you humanize um someone like one of these commandants and that's really what this film to me really took on and i i think it does a really good um, job of that by uh, a first-time director, uh, Arez Perry, I believe it is, co-wrote the screenplay, and uh, our, you know, right away goes up to uh, someone that I want to certainly follow as a, a filmmaker. Very, very slow. I could see it coming to Criterion. A lot of uh, close, a lot of long shots, a lot of close-ups. You know, it's it's an interrogation, right? So, right. Um, and it's it's so new it doesn't even have an IMDb rating yet because there's not mm-hmm. five ratings. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, well, I guess you're gonna add one. Yeah, I, yep. I, I actually looked it up. By the way, there's another movie called Interrogation. I I just found while searching, which uh, looks like it's a mainstream Hollywood film and not that hmm. good. So, just yeah, FYI, don't, don't be confused. Don't grab that one. And this one is, um, if, if you want to catch it sooner, it is actually coming to DVD in the UK from Matchbox Films Matchbox Films in January. Cool. So, yep. I've done that. I did that with a lobster. Got to see it, uh, you know, three, four months before the theatrical release, which means nothing, but I just, yeah, it feels good. Right. Yep, exactly. I, I see this was an Israeli production, but German language. I think that's an interesting. Yes. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah, it's it's well worth it. I, I think you'd appreciate it, Aaron. Just again, it was a it's a good Sunday. It was a rainy Sunday afternoon. Good good film for that. Don't watch it at uh, late at night. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I well, it may put you to sleep. I yeah, I 
been down that road a few times. Well, okay, I guess uh, How about my, you? mine are not VTIF. Uh, mine are just uh, ATIF. Air <laughs> uh, <laughs> International Film Festival. That's right. Um, so my first one is a Yodorowsky, Alejandro. Uh, people mm. might know him from El Topo, Holy Mountain, uh, Dance of Reality. But I watched uh, Santa Sangre, which is as close Excellent. to a horror as he gets. Uh, have you seen it? I have. Oh, you have? Mm-hmm. Good. So you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, Quite a movie. Yes. Um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of his, and we'll just say that I think that a lot of his films are enhanced, would be enhanced by a certain combination of chemicals. <laughs> and sometimes I, yeah. I'm not sure if whatever that's, that combination is. Yeah, right. agreed. I don't know if that's intended. I think his early ones that probably is intended, and probably uh, uh, facilitated the creation of the the films. Uh, a few chemicals did. Santa Sang- Sangre is. It's very surreal. has uh, has a lot of uh, horror elements. has a lot of art film elements. But it's it's not as not as out there. There is a, a narrative, uh, more of a narrative than like say the Holy Mountain, where it's just or really both of those Holy Mountain and El Topo. And sure. that, that was actually surprising. Uh, it's actually there's a there's flashbacks, there's flash forwards, there's a character. You kind of see the evolution of a uh, of a story between his family mm-hmm. and uh, and there is. A horror aspect. There's a psychological aspect as well. Uh, so it's it's not easy to follow. It's it's still a challenging art film. You have to right. pay attention, but uh, you, you're rewarded for that. Uh, so I actually was very very taken with this. Um, uh, really Excellent. really enjoyed the the, you know, the symbolism. I I'm not going to go into the ending, but I, I liked the way they handled the ending. Uh, there's a little bit of a twist, and I thought uh, they yeah they. It, they handled the the gore pretty well. In a way, it was almost kind of like a giallo. I was just gonna say that. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. So the, the look of the blood for sure. There was yeah. a lot of blood, and uh, Santa Sangre means I think holy blood is the translation. It's uh, this is not a Christmas movie, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so yeah, there is a lot of lot of blood. Uh, there's some sexuality, uh, which you know that's pretty typical in a horror film as well. But it's mm-hmm. uh, you know I wouldn't wouldn't recommend it for people that. Uh, watch 80s slashers movies like like Dave and Jessica. Well, Dave maybe. Jessica, I don't know. <laughs> right. But I, yeah, I did, have to ask her. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, in fact, I, I'm going to go so far to say it's probably my favorite Yodorowsky. And I've seen really? a, seen about wow. know, four or five of his. So And there's another mm-hmm. one coming out soon that I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to. Uh, yeah, so really impressed by it. Wow, that's great. It's kind of, you know, it struck me as a bit of a transitional movie for him. Um, I, I watched some early and some late and it seems like it's you know right in the middle uh it feels a little more like his later stuff i think like dance of reality but, yeah um you know it's yeah i i really like it for that i i think i think you're right it, i actually liked it better than i expected i i think my favorite is still my first uh holy mountain but yeah, <laughs> i agree it's it's well worth checking out it, that's such a freak out movie that uh yeah, yeah it's it's very unique kind of like house you know you can't really you can't really describe what what hits, but it's just such such a blast to watch. Uh, yeah, this is. one is is a lo- little more emotional. There's uh, more of a yeah. You're right. It is a good transition to his later uh, think pieces. Autobiography. It probably is autobiographical uh, yeah, to some to some extent. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Good stuff. And good in fact, stuff. his kids are yeah. in it too. So there you go. <laughs> if it wasn't autobiographical, right. autobiograph. <laughs> if it wasn't autobiographical, I can't say that word. Uh, it is now for two of them. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, well, I'm glad you saw it. Good stuff. Well, I'm going to, uh, for my next one, I'm going to transition into a, a horror pick. Uh, they have the, uh, 
know if I'd mentioned they have After Dark. Uh, Eric was talking about this when he was on uh, Carnival yeah. of Souls. After Dark in Vermont is uh, means it screens at nine o'clock, not midnight. So uh, the the city is pretty much asleep by midnight. So I did catch out a couple. I did catch a couple. Um, the first one was Evolution. This is one, I don't know if anyone has really had this on their radar. It's by Lucille. I'm going to call her Lucille H because there's no way I can pronounce her last name. <laughs> oh, I think I know who this ha- 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 Yeah. She did Innocence, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I haven't I, seen I Innocence, it <laughs> but it's tough. And I... Um, I, I don't want to just, you know, reduce her to this, but if folks may know, she is the wife of Gaspar Noe, um, who, and she also co-wrote Enter the Void, uh, his, one of his, I think his, not his last movie, the one before Love. Right. So this is very interesting. Uh, Eric, again, Eric Ford was, he, he programs all the After Dark stuff, and uh, he thought this one delivers on, it, it, he called it a mix of David Cronenberg and H.P. Lovecraft. So if you like either of those two, uh, you could certainly be into this one. Um, if you are someone who wants your movies explained, not even in some way, but in any way, don't watch this movie because there's no explanation whatsooever. Um, I think between you and I, Aaron, we don't really care <laughs> typically mm-hmm. about such things. Um, so it, it's about, um, and I, I had a tough time kind of figuring out what I wanted to take. I was trying to like piece together what I thought was going on early on. And I, I think it's interesting to kind of think about that and maybe just, um, you know, take, think about the themes afterwards, I guess, more so than what's going on. I mean, you can, I kind of read some reverse gender roles in this film. Um, I, I should mention it's about these, uh, this 10 year old boy who lives on a remote uh, volcanic Island. It's inhabited solely by women and these young boys and just strange medical treatments going on. Um, I think the main thing I, I kind of took from it is I, I it feels like when you're watching it, it, I think it's like what it feels like to watch maybe your own incoherent dream because it is kind of uh, incoherent. Um, so, you know, for, for what that's worth. It's certainly interesting. I think it will turn off uh, some people, but I, I'd recommend checking it out. I mean, if you like Gaspar Noe and if you're okay with, you know, kind of think about the movie on your own, uh, go for it. It is available from, I actually just ordered Innocence, as you mentioned from the uk it is available now on dvd in the uk from uh, metro metrodome video and uh well worth checking out if you like cronenberg hp lovecraft it's uh um one to one to see so aaron what uh, what else did you see well i uh saw another horror hmm and this Excellent. time this time a giallo I, i'm really i wouldn't say i'm on a giallo kick because i only watch like one every two three weeks but uh you know, when you keep on buying these aero discs, there's so many good ones, and I just bought another yeah. one. So, That's so anyway, a kick. yeah, yeah. This this one was actually recommended uh, by Cole from the the Lantern Magic Lantern podcast. Uh, I think it was on the Slacker show. I, I forget, uh, but mm. this name is like well, pretty much the name is a book. Uh, Your vice is a locked room, and I have the key. Uh, I I don't know cool. what that how's that's translated, but. Um, what the original means but anyway it's uh like a, a 10 word title and this is very a, long yeah. it's adapted from uh the black cat story uh oh, it's a variation okay. of it uh the poe and it was actually part of that black cat uh box set that arrow put out uh maybe three years ago 
and it was really just two films. Uh, it was this one and a Fulci film, and I, I actually didn't buy the set because the Fulci film I, I heard was not that good. Uh, but this one I heard was excellent, and just not just from Cole but from others. And I I bought the standalone, you know, the last Arrow sale, mm-hmm. and so I, I I did have pretty high expectations because he he had raised the bar pretty high for it. He uh, does. Well, he he praised it, and he he really knows his giallo. Uh, so right. I I kind of expected uh, a really good film, and you trust in Cole. I trust in Cole, and Cole was right. Uh, this was, and you know, I haven't seen nearly as many giallos as him. I've seen you know some Baba, some Argento, some Fulci, but you know I, I've probably seen a, a very small sampling. But this was among the better ones. Uh, hmm. It has your your typical giallo elements. You know, it has has the same kind of narrative. It actually, has a writer. Like uh, Tenebrae, Argento's from the 80s, uh, actually kind of a s- similar story. There's a little bit of uh, hedonism, like sexual, kind of like Eyes Wide Shut-ish, in, a, mm. in, in that direction, not not quite like Eyes Wide Shut. And uh, But there's also a cat, a black cat. And uh, and I, I thought that they used the cat very, very well. It, you know, it's not easy to do a, a good cat or to portray a cat in a film that well. Um but the, yeah, the, I, I prefer my cla- my cats with uh, glowing green eyes. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the, the the film language in this film um, captured the cat a little better than House. Uh, no, nothing against mm. House, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, a lot of interesting cuts, uh, a lot of inter- interesting shots. Uh, I, I, I actually I, I don't really know the director, uh, but I thought stylistically it was very very good. Um, one thing that mm. I think really sets horror films apart is. If the blacks are really well done, like the dark scenes, if you can. Oh, good point. Yeah. Horror Love films are hard to light, but and it actually takes uh, some some bravado, some some daring to do dark scenes and um, and not you know give into the it probably the DP probably not give wants, into the light. Right. <laughs> Don't look yeah. at the light. Uh, but I thought the blacks really worked well here. Hmm. There's there's a lot of nudity. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, in fact, it's difficult to not watch a film from you know the seventies or sixties, especially the seventies, and try not to judge it by today's you know I guess progressive standards. So I sure, but so I did see some sexism and maybe what I thought was a little racism, but it kind of comes mm-hmm. full circle and and I, I and even if if that existed and, and maybe I you could argue that it does, I wouldn't indict the film because you know it's a product of its time, but. In a way, it actually takes a takes that and turns it on its head a little bit. I'm not, of course, I'm not going to go into how because I think it really deserves to be seen. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was almost there's a little bit of empowerment there, uh, and there's a little colonial tie too, and it was kind of an interesting twist how it turns out. So yeah, that, that's a movie I, I could probably write about and have some things hmm. to say. So yeah, I liked it, and uh, and of course, if you know the story, you, I'm not. It's it's a short story, and they bring in elements from the short story, and they kind of apply it to like the Giallo template. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. That's cool. That's great. It's uh, your recommendation in Coles. It's going on the list. It is available in the U.S. on from Arrow, and it looks like it's also if you want to just check it out, you can get it um, from well Fandor through Amazon. Um, I don't know if Fandor is still carrying it too. So yeah, yeah, uh, and maybe it'll make it, it to Filmstruck. I, I don't know. Uh, Arrow's library, what's going to be there, if anything. But, uh, yeah, hopefully people can see it somehow. Right. Good call. Little, little giallo love. Giallo. So, 
the uh, the last one I wanted to mention is I would say of the three that I've talked about, probably my favorite. I did really like the interrogation. It was a good kind of entry to the festival. But I think as far as you know how every year, at least for me, there's always like two horror films. One that really tops the list is like you can't miss. Mm -hmm. And two is maybe a second one that is, you know, really good and worth checking out. So I'll like comparison a couple years ago. I can't even think of what the other one would be. But two years ago, The Babadook was by far the best, I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Last year, if I'm again, if I'm getting my years right, I think of it follows. I was thinking of the same thing, yeah. Good night, mommy, and I actually think I like Good Night, mommy better. I think because I didn't really like the third act of It Follows as much, hmm. um, but you could say It Follows, you know, being the best horror film of last year. So and maybe a, a girl walks a home alone at night. Yeah, that's anyway. a good one. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a yeah. few. Yeah, that's a good one. This one, I think, I can't see anything really topping this uh, as far as quote-unquote horror movies go for me uh, under the shadow it was highly recommended by eric ford i mean really the closing of the um you know the the after dark series directed by first-time filmmaker uh babek and vari it is the uk's official submission to the 2016 academy awards um although it is it takes place in iran so kind of an interesting interesting um there and you can kind of see that based on you know what happens in the movie how it's portrayed that it probably wasn't filmed in iran i don't think it would have made made it past their censors in the way that the way that the the country is um portrayed because it does take place during the iran uh, iraq war of the 1980s um so and this did play Sundance in uh, earlier this year. So it's been it's been out there. You can rent it on um, the on Amazon. I think it's like seven dollars. So under the shadow, uh, the tagline I really liked. I just checked this out. I think it's uh, encompasses the film well. Fear will find you. Um, there's certainly you could draw comparisons to the Babadook, but I think there's. Um, certainly more going on here there's the you know the tension of the iran iraq war there's family tension uh between all the players involved it's you kind of see my brother and i had a nice discussion i was able to see it with him about there's you know you kind of you get the progressive uh, mother in iran who has a vcr and is politically active compared with the conservative neighbor who believes in you know really the what's going on here but you know the mother and the you know the daughter are the ones affected by this so um really interesting take on this and you know it's you've got your your scares you've got your um, there's jump scares there's you know some some tension but there's a lot going on in the background that makes it uh, a rich film so definitely gets my my high horror uh, recommendation for this year yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. Has a ninety-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, like a seven and a half on IMDb. So yeah, it seems like it's pretty well acclaimed. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, critics have it like at it's like an eighty on Metacritic. So it's um, yeah. higher, um, even more appreciated by critics than than audiences. So yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes is is mis- sometimes misleading because you know, like a six out of ten is a you know. A, uh, like a mixed review, mixed plus can be seen as right. a, as a positive. So yeah, that, that eight is a high rating. So yeah, and I, very good film. I just checked and I had it on my watch list for uh, from Amazon. So I, I, somebody else recommended it to me. I, I, you know, <laughs> it was probably you. <laughs> I just forgot. Could be. Yeah, I mean, it's been out there for for a little while, um, and it. I'm sure. I mean, it's Amazon streaming. I bet 
some streaming service like Netflix or something is going to have it for free pretty soon. Probably, and I, but I might rent it. I, that's a pretty high recommendation. Yeah, and I, I do like horror. And turn up the volume. Uh, I love horror films that use uh, audio well. I mean, they should, right? And sure. I thought the Babadook was. This one uses audio very, very well. So if you have a surround system, uh, turn it up or put some headphones on and uh, enjoy. Nice. Yes, the Babadook was great with audio. Agreed. All right. Is that... So what's your last uh, short take, Aaron? Uh, my last short take is a big one. It's uh, Midnight Cowboy from Ooh. the 60s. Uh, it's uh, John Voight, Dustin Hoffman. And I think I'd seen it before. I can't remember. Um, but uh, either way, I, I, I you don't remember. You have to watch it again. So uh, right. I think I might have seen it when I was younger and it obviously didn't leave much of an impression. But a movie like this, I think... You have to be a little mature to get. You have to understand the context of the time, the late '60s, yeah. and uh, you know the the Vietnam era, the post. I don't know if I'd say post hippie, but you know the hippie movement. I guess summer '69. They were actually right right in the at the height of that movement. Hmm. Um, and uh, it also has a tenuous Criterion connection. Uh, it was rumored to be coming out, and I. I I didn't research this. I can't remember if it was maybe like a one of those newsletter clues or a, a New Year's Eve clue, but or maybe there was another hint somewhere else. But yeah, it was rumored to come out uh, on Blu-ray in the for, on Criterion, and it hasn't happened. So um, hopefully right. that rumor holds water because I think it'd be a magnificent addition to the collection. Yeah, it's a, in a way it's kind of a buddy movie uh, between Hoffman and Voigt's characters, uh, Ratso mm-hmm. and uh, well, I forgot Voigt's character's name, but uh, the cowboy uh, who uh, yeah. tries to make it in New York. Uh, it's a very different New York than the, the one if you if you go today. It's very clean. Well, mostly it's very clean. Back then it was a little dirty, and, uh, and mm-hmm. you see uh, uh, see that uh, on display. But yeah, it's a, a, a both great great performances uh, from Hoffman and Voigt. Uh, um, and yeah, it's, it processes a lot of, uh, I think, uh, emotions from the time very, very well. Uh, you know, it doesn't, it's not explicit the way it, it treats uh, the, I guess, the alienation of the, of the, the time that people mm. were feeling, you know, not just, yeah. not just the war, although that's a, a big part of it. it. It does address the war directly. Uh, well, not through film language directly, but it, it doesn't, they don't actually talk about the war. Uh, so yeah, it's very well cut together, very well directed. This is uh, Schlesinger. Schlesinger, <laughs> I can't say things today. Uh, so yeah, I, I, again, I, in fact, all three of these movies, I really, really took to. So it was a, a good, good uh, week. Good week, yeah. yeah. So I, I actually, I, I loved this movie. Of of the three, boy, it'd be a tough, tough vote. But I, I think this would probably be my favorite of the three. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's one I, I think now that I've seen it, I think it would would uh, hold up well on rewatches. Uh, there's yeah, a lot right. of deep themes I think uh, you'll pick up on, especially with a lot of the, the cuts and the edits and, um, and again, the film language. The, my only complaint is some of the dubbing is not great, and uh, hmm. you could tell it's dubbed, uh, especially the early scenes. And um, But, you know, that's something you're speaking of, Giallo, that's something you kind of get used to watching some foreign films and, uh, right. and some American films from the time. Uh, of course, today they use a lot of a lot of direct sound um, and ADRs come a long way I think but um, mm-hmm. but yeah that's just a minor quibble it's pretty much a phenomenal film that I uh, hope Criterion is listening do you know what studio yeah. has it I'd be surprised if they don't uh, release it you know it's just it's I mean they've got uh, Billy Liars out of print and they do have Sunday Bloody Sunday but um, the it's United Artist yeah released it theatrically 
Um, Criterion did put it out on Laserdisc in 92. So, you know, there's your, hey, let's bring it back from Laserdisc right. connection. <laughs> um, as far as home video, I'm not sure. Not a whole lot. I, and I wonder what, it could be the print. A lot of times that's the case. They want uh, good materials and uh, maybe right. maybe it's being restored. Who knows? Yeah, I'm trying to find uh, Sony. Sony put out a DVD in 2006, so it might be. Okay, well, that's good. But then 20th Century Fox put one in 2007. I Yeah, this, this thing's all over the place <laughs> <laughs> as far as home video. Yeah, it says it was hinted uh, in a uh, newsletter clue 2013. So, mm. yeah, I guess we'll just see. Yeah, wait and see. Yeah. Sometimes they take a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, probably, you know, film elements and getting some supplements. I, th- this one could get another, I could see it getting, you know, well, H- Hoffman connection similar to the graduate kind of treatment. True, yeah. I nice. think this would get great treatment. And also Void, too, although Void is in the headlines for different reasons these days. But uh, And at last time, I think Hoffman was a little ill, too, and he, he can't, so the Tootsie was delayed, remember? Right, that's right. Uh, but he did yeah. come in anyway, so who knows? Maybe that has something to do with it. But in, anyway, uh, yeah. if you haven't seen it, I, I watched it on VOD. Uh, it's that's the way easy way to watch uh, movies these days. So it's out there on Amazon, and I th- thought the print was just fine. I mean, it's not right. 4K, but it was very watchable. So what, yeah. I'm sure your library has it too, if you want to check it out. Probably, probably, but <laughs> worth worth watching. Cool, excellent. Well, that's our, uh, our short takes. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with Guillermo del Toro's Kronos. Pues no pasó nada. <risa> Mira qué curioso. ¿Qué te parece que sea? ¿Un juguete? Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West, ready to talk about Guillermo del Toro's Kronos, his first film. You got to roll the R, man. <laughs> which one Which one do I roll? Guillermo? Guillermo? Oh, I, I'm talking about in Kronos. Oh. <laughs> I, I can't do it. <laughs> in fact, I'm Kronos? embarrassed that I just tried. Uh, does it Does it roll there? I don't know. I don't I speak don't Spanish. I don't, I, I don't think it does. I, I usually, I usually um, just keep that for French, but. Uh, I think they, they roll ours in so Spanish. Good. Do they? Yeah, they. Well, here, look at me talking about Spanish. I, I was going to say I, Spanish language film, and uh, I think we just lost half of our listeners with questioning <laughs> that. But, yeah. Well, I, I am married to a linguist, so I know some things about language, but I, I, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what can you know? Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, his uh, Del Toro's first film, Spine 551, uh, released in 2010. So kind of early in the Blu-ray, uh, you know, new releases for uh, Criterion. It's a 1993 film. Um, stars Federico Lupi, Ron Perlman, of course folks know, Claudio Brook, and Margarita Isabel and Tamara Shanath. 
So it's a, and it's about a, a man who discovers a device that grants eternal life, um, mm -hmm. whatever that is. And um, some people call this a vampire myth type of movie, but there are no sparkles or romanticized vampirism to be found in this film. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yes. I will so, not go down the Twilight route. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to leave that where it is. It's like Biting the anti-Twilight, really. This is <laughs> completely... Yes. It's, yeah. We can, we can Even thank. the average age is... Uh, yeah, anyway. Right, right. We can thank Del Toro for that. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the cast itself, I mean, it's not uh, it's not a Twilight cast by, by any means. It's, it's, it's so anti-Twilight, just thinking about that because of the... So this film was, I, I think at the very end, it is um, a, it, Del Toro says it's in memory of his uh, grandmother. So, you know, when you talk, want to talk about anti-Twilight, there's no, um, you know, grandparent uh, familial relationship in that film. I mean, it's really generation jumping, which is, uh, I, I think, really nice way to, uh, you know, for Del Toro to kind of take this, this vampire uh, myth and, you know, turn it on its head. Yeah, well, I, I jumped off the uh, the Twilight train <laughs> about midway through, but uh, no offense to uh, you know Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, Pattinson movies, so yeah, her fans. Yeah. She was she was good in uh, Clouds of Sils Marion, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. and I, I hear good things about uh, uh, well, Personal Shopper was okay, and I, there's another one coming out that I hear. Yeah, so that's yeah, right. I, I, certain I, I think, uh, and she was actually pretty good in Into the Wild. But anyway, we're not podcasting Twilight. <laughs> I think, we, and we never will. Sorry, nope, not gonna happen. Not uh, coming to Criterion. Uh, speaking of which, we should mention that uh, this was the the first film in the recently released box set Trilogia, Trilogia. or is it? Tri <laughs> <I can't. laughs> that's how you roll your eyes. Nice. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> which is a beautiful box set uh, that I that I just received recently, um, but I didn't open it for this. I, I used my old Chronos disc, which I don't, I don't know what to do with. But yeah, yeah, I. Kind I of, um... We we talked about it before the podcast. I'm going to keep mine because uh, that disc, it's the disc looks different, but as I understand, it's the same content. But mm -hmm. um, the Chronos, the old Chronos discs includes uh, an essay and uh, a, what shows as uh, notes from Del Toro uh, for the film itself. So I'm going to hang on to it. You know? Yeah, me too. Me too. And it, the trilogia looks so amazing that I, I don't mind. Rebuying two of the same films uh, right. that I already have, Devil's Backbone being the other one, and maybe I'll rebuy Pans. Uh, we, we talked about that too. Yeah, you know, just for the yeah, I love the cover imagery, so I may just have to to own that. And you know, I have another yeah. motive, Aaron, because uh, some of this discussion came out on some of the Facebook groups, the Criterion Completion. I hate the slide out uh, disc cases because. Oh. I slid my discs out, and a couple of them already have a little bit of a scratch on it, which is, you know, being <laughs> OCD, it dries me bananas. So, you know, this, this, that said, you slid your the, discs uh, out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, it, and seeing I'm seeing 12. the scratches makes me want to uh, slip my wrist. So, hopefully, there's a listener or two out there that uh, agrees with me. But yeah, I, I get it. Um, yeah. But like I said, I haven't really opened mine. I, I opened the packaging because uh, right. somebody mentioned that the Devil's Backbone was not actually in the slot. Right. So I just checked. I just opened it just to check to make sure it was was they were all there. Yep. But uh, but yeah, I, I haven't actually used them. And I, it's one of those that if I never open it, and <laughs> it's okay. Yep. It's just one of those that just looks amazing on the shelf. Yeah. Uh, I, I you know get open the book to check that out. Me, yeah, I'll open the book at some point. Yeah. 
So this film, you know, it, it has uh, some, in Kronos, it has some interesting elements. Um, one of the things is, of course, the, uh, the body horror uh, of this film, which, you know, you could say is uh, influenced by, I mean, Cronenberg came up earlier. Uh, you've got of course, some, yeah. Yeah, some Cronenberg. And Giallo, uh, too. As we yeah. yeah, yeah. it almost, that's a good point. It almost looks like a Giallo film in some ways. At times, yeah. Use, use um, of color and, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, um, well, this was my first time with uh, Kronos. Uh, I, d- I didn't uh, see it back in the day. I don't think anybody saw it back in the day, uh, but um, but I haven't, yeah. hadn't rewatched it. Now, I have seen uh, Devil's Backbone and, of course, Pans, and I think most of the other Del Toros. I haven't seen Mimic yet, but I, okay. from what I understand, I'm probably better off. I think that was a production nightmare. Yeah, um, yeah. It's wor- I really want to revisit it. I picked up the disc. I, I think the beginning is better than the, uh, the full film, but you know, mm-hmm. we're checking it out. From what I understand, that's one that could that had potential, but I I, I don't know the, the production history, but apparently that's what did it in. Right. But at least with Kronos, uh, you know, he had financing, sort of. Uh, they, they talk about that on the disc, but it wasn't exactly firm. But they, they had enough to make a, a, a decent movie and uh, and realize his vision. Right. And you know, having seen all the Del Toros we've seen, uh, we it definitely has his stamp, uh, and it's. It's actually a pretty accomplished first feature, uh, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of, you know, even quality first features that don't have the same polish and uh, care that this one has. So I, I think uh, kudos for that. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it certainly is bringing his vision to the uh, the screen. Uh, one of the things I think about with Del Toro is, I mean, he he loves genre films. He loves this genre. He loves. Um, how there are different myths that play into the the horror genre, and I I, I like how he is um, he he shows he really shows his love for genre by kind of defying the conventions though because this is not mm-hmm. your you know your typical uh, and the, the the word vampire is never even used in the film but it is a vampire type of film just not as you would expect you I don't think you see fangs at all you know he's mm-hmm. really just um, playing with the whole uh, immortal bit, and there are some elements of vampire films in that. You know, you see him licking the um, the blood off the bathroom floor, which is again not what mm-hmm. you would see in a normal film. But right, um, no, definitely not. What, great scene, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And, and, and I think that's one thing that t- Del Toro excels at. He, he mm-hmm. takes uh, genre conventions and uses them to uh, to portray a, a sense of humanity or. And and often uh, relationships between older people and, and children. He, yeah, he's really good with that. But like Devil's Backbone is is a ghost story, and and he he interweaves history. Pans is a, a fantasy, and uh, well, I didn't like uh, Crimson Peak that much. I, I'm willing to give it another shot. And um, but but it also has gothic uh, elements. Um, right. That and uh, and I guess there's some there's. Were there kids in Crimson Peak? I forget. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's no. that's a good point. Mostly, you know, just adults in that one. A little different there. Except, well, one, at the very beginning, uh, you know, the, her as a, a child. I, I think oh, right, it, right. But, yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, that, that actually was a pretty good scene. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that I like that he did take the, 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 the vampire, I guess, genre mm-hmm. and pretty much did away with the conventions. You know, he, he kind of... Of course, as we mentioned, he has his own style, and he right. likes to use objects and, and uh, fantastical elements, and he kind of brought that into it. Um, 
I really like that uh, there's it's basically a toy. It's a right. uh, a collectible is, uh, is you know it, it's something that well it probably is in Bleak House but it could be found in Bleak House or um yeah and that's that's pretty much the central uh, uh, that that's what causes the action that uh, that forces the characters to um, to respond or become immortal. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I wonder you know and you mentioned the toy. I thought of this very early on because let's see, uh, Hellraiser came out in '87, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, I, I thought of Hellraiser a lot. Yeah, I mean you've got this you know this toy that the the, the film revolves around, drives the narrative, is you know collectible and. Mm-hmm pleasure and pain you know you mm-hmm. because it's painful when you are using the the chronos device i mean i just he doesn't mention it that i remember of course i didn't get into the the commentary but it, it seems like it must have influenced him in some sort yeah he i, I did listen to his commentary and I'll, I'll talk about it some he, he didn't mention uh i can't recall him mentioning any influences there he didn't mention some when he talked about the short uh, and those right. were uh, uh you know baba and um, right Argento and that Jello sort of thing, but, but yeah. when you see the short, it makes sense there. Uh, yeah, he didn't really talk about it, but we know Del Toro's film taste now. You know, he's that's one thing. He's actually a big Criterion fan, um, so there are some art films in there, I think, and there are some. Uh, there, there probably is. I, I'm sure he saw Hellraiser, and I'm. I kind of have a feeling he liked it, yeah. just based on the kind of, kind of films he makes, um, and maybe uh, some of the, the definitely gothic horror. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though this isn't a gothic horror. Like uh, like say the innocence, and you can see that influence more on Devil's Backbone, but I, I think the influence is here as well, especially with the you know using uh, horror elements, but not really shocking too much, but using that to explore other themes. Right, yeah, it's uh, th- this film is certainly a bit uglier, um, <laughs> you know, it, especially as it takes on the you know the the vampire myth. I mean, it's very it's very melancholy uh, throughout. You know most of the film, um, and it, it portrays how the you know the, um, it's beautiful in some sorts, but really you know the the vampire myth can be ugly. Death is ugly. Mm-hmm. You know when you when you die and you come back reborn, uh, you're not a beautiful being. <laughs> so I like yeah, to take on that. I have to recall uh, a horror or a vampire classic. Uh, it's called uh, What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. And the Petro character shows that uh, that sometimes immortality, uh, you know, there, there's a there's an, a shelf life for it uh, for the glamour. Um, right. You know, you, you can you can go to Vampire Lestat. That's the romantic uh, mm-hmm. side uh, or portrayal. Uh, Peter is the opposite, and I'd say. Um, I'd say this is this is more in the Peter direction. Right, it's more the pathetic, mm-hmm. and uh, and even though everybody strives, you know, death is or mortality is a, a, a huge theme, and it's pretty obvious theme too. But uh, but yeah, everybody wants to continue living. Uh, at what cost, though? You know, do you want to be? <laughs> do you want to be in the funeral home, having somebody stapling you together, and then come out of that? Or (laughs) they don't. They don't have the staples in uh, an Anne Rice film, right? Yeah, and just the whole quality of life too. Um, You know, as you are, I guess it does get back to the kind of romanticized view in um, in you know Anne Rice books. I think a lot of times they choose to to die, um, and they Mm -hmm. you know and come back as a vampire. And in this, you know, you've got the character who is um, LaGuardia, who's what kind of quality of life does he have? You know, he lives in one room, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost like he lives in this obsessive state to continue his life of you know, what I, I forget what Perlman says. You know, um, 
piss and crap his pants all day. <laughs> you know, why does he want to continue living? Um, but, you know, it, this is his obsession. And I, I just wonder, you know, does he really want to continue living because he loves his life or just because it's a, it's, it's an obsession? Yeah. And, and, you know, really, he kind of stumbles on it too. The, right. uh, he doesn't know that this is a vampire. In fact, the viewer doesn't know that this is a, a vampire, vampiric device. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you know, I, this is, was my first time with it, so maybe I, maybe there are some foreshadowing elements. Um, but if there were, I missed them. So yeah, he, yeah. and and you just uh, you play with the wrong toy. <laughs> Be careful. It might uh, you know, and if if a toy pierces the skin. Yeah, put it away. <laughs> yeah, don't touch it again. <laughs> yeah, move on from there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Really... yeah, and 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 I think uh, him coming to terms with aging, and I I think that's and and his relationship with the the little girl too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, it, it's very, like I said, it's very obvious, but it's also very profound, and uh, and it makes you like the character, or you know, it endears you to the character. Whereas like a, a an Anne Rice film. Or even some of the old like Draculas, you know, it's the glamour, the uh, the romance that makes you attract is attracted to the uh, the character. It, not really sympathy. They're not really tortured characters. Even well, Peter may be in What We Do with the Shadows, but uh, and that's of course a satire if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But the other characters, you know, they're meant to be romantic as well and uh, uh, just comedically romantic. Uh, this one, there's not really any comedy whatsoever. Right. No, I mean, you could maybe read a little bit into, you know, Perlman's character as a, as the, yeah. you know, English speaking, you know, kind of fish out of water type of, uh, of character. He was, he was one, um, I just, uh, I kind of, he grew on me a bit as the film went on. The first time I saw him, he, he did seem out of place, which may be part of the point because, you know, he, he can't speak. I know this is covered in some of the supplements where he can't speak mm-hmm. Spanish well. Right. And so, <laughs> You know, he, he loved, uh, Del Toro loved Perlman, so he wanted to keep him in the film, and uh, he just seems a bit out of place, and maybe that's, you know, kind of the point of his character as the, you know, the quote-unquote villain. Yeah, you know, I'm actually with you on your first take. Yeah. I had I had a little trouble with the the Del, uh, the Del Toro, the uh, LaGuardia scenes, the Perlman scenes. Yeah. And and I was a little taken out of it. Uh, I, I really liked the, the scenes with uh, Jesus Gris. Yeah. He's a, <laughs> Interesting. You know, he's a professional actor he was great sure sure and 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 the daughter and and actually even the mm-hmm. um uh, the claudio brooke character uh yeah and of course he's been in um, a number of benwell films I, I should also mention that i think one of the parts that uh, bothered me about this and this this is really has nothing to do with the film but more about criterion mm-hmm. is uh the the subtitles didn't have uh, they didn't show subtitles when Perlman was speaking English, right? And and sometimes it was hard to hear his his dialogue. Per, Ron Perlman is not exactly uh, <laughs> the greatest orator in the world, and um, nothing against him. I I think he's a, a fine actor, but uh, there's a little bit of mumbling. And when I watched, I watched it for the first time, and then I watched the commentary. And a lot of times you can rewatch the movie with the commentary by you know watching the subtitles and kind of get get a mm. little bit. But because there were no, yeah, yeah it was, and and there was an actually actually an interesting post on Reddit uh, from somebody who actually had a better reason for wanting subtitles uh, during these scenes because they were uh, hard of hearing, and you mm. you forget that uh, you know there's accessibility, so they they have a far better argument than I than I do for wanting those. So I'm actually going to put that in the show notes. That actually did get some a good response. Uh, they they posted their letter to Criterion, and the, and some of the the correspondence and. Uh, so yeah, and that's something I find a lot is when I'm watching a commentary, 
uh, when they speak English, you don't see the subtitles. So anyway, that's right. a, a digression. But um, yeah, I, I mean that's hopefully... that's the that's the tough part with with subtitles too. And I, I think that comes with it, some of the later uh, discs probably include. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I, if I want if subtitles are on, I want to see uh, everything. And it was it was a tougher part with the 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 second commentary with the producers because uh, there mm. were you know some of the producers were Spanish speaking. So you you had their subtitles and you had the uh, English subtitles, but then along with the film subtitles, kind of made it, you know, difficult yeah. to tough to watch know, to, to sift through. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, and I, I kind of understand why because usually the subtitles are based on. Uh, this is quite a digression, but they're usually based on, um, uh, you know, the international audience. So right. they're they're translated for theaters, and you know, why are you going to translate English? They don't translate it in you know a Hollywood film. But I, I think it's worth the, a little bit of extra investment just to um, to transcribe those. So anyway, Criterion, yeah. please subtitle your stuff. Uh, and I'm sure they've they've seen that letter, and I'm sure they're talking about it. So hopefully they're <laughs> listening. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think about. You know, we talked about uh, vampirism some, and it, it, it's interesting how this this film handles that. And one of the things I noted was the uh, were the symptoms. Um, I think. Right. In you know, in many vampire films, you see we, we talked about some of the other elements, and you see some of the um, I don't know if you I don't know if you see the symptoms. You see how like uh, Lost Boys is really the take on how do you kill a vampire, right, but right. you know I liked how Del Toro really gets into the symptoms of vampirism, like that you know the scene in front of the um, the fridge where Jesus is he has that really unquenchable thirst. He just can't drink enough mm-hmm. water, you know, and then. Um, the absence of red in this film that Del Toro references, yeah, you know, yeah. you get the the red meat in the you know the fridge. In the fridge, um, yeah, yeah, very very red. Yeah, yeah. Again, signs of an auteur. Uh, did a yeah. good job use of color. Definitely had his vision, and uh, and I think he, you know, more or less uh, accomplished it. Uh, probably more than mimic. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the symptom, and, and also there is increased vitality too. When we first see the, the right. signs, or I guess the first part of the transformation, he looks amazing. I mean, yeah. for for a, a gentleman his age, it looks like he did, uh, I'm sure they, there was some makeup, but uh, he looks like he shed a few years, you know, has more energy, vitality. Right. And, uh, yeah, better connection, you know, really with his, his wife there too. I, it's, an, it's an interesting kind of... Um, you know, not not really a digression, but the way that they interact, the three of them, because it's the, Mm -hmm. you know, the granddaughter with a couple. And um, you see them as a couple being attracted more as he, after he's used the device. And then the, the, you know, the granddaughter during the, um, you know, the the ball scene there, the meeting, I can't remember what that was. um, (laughs) She's kind of looking at them like she is the forgotten uh, of the three in the character. So just an interesting kind of uh, you know, relationship between granddaughter and, and grandfather um, there. I like the yeah. relationship. And you, you kind of could see it as a, uh, a portrayal of addiction, too, because, mm. you know, the, when, when addiction begins, there's the euphoria, there's the, the positive symptoms. Uh, that's that's what, uh, what reels you in, and then right. the degradation. So, and, and one of the positive symptoms would be relations with your wife. Right. And then, and then having to deal with the... The, and this was quite a rough uh, degradation afterward, and trying to reconcile your daughter or your granddaughter, um, and uh, and making sure she's not too impacted on the. I mean, she sees see some terrible things, mm-hmm. but again, I think the the greatest moments in this movie 
a lot of times without uh, that much dialogue were between the the, the girl and the uh, the the vampire <laughs> right uh, and I, she's great she's like a yeah. blank slate she and uh, and what's interesting and I don't think you yeah you didn't hear the del Toro commentary but he said that she's an actual mystic and hmm. that she yeah he he tells a pretty long story and I you should listen to it on on the commentary it's probably in the second half uh, but he, he basically he says that he's a skeptic but uh, he was told that she had a certain power, and he tested it, and it worked. So wow. uh, I, I won't go into how it worked. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> validating that, but, uh, you know, I'll take his word that uh, sure. he saw something. In uh, El Toro, we trust, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it's, she, and you're right, she's great. I mean, I, I wondered, you know, I think she, she only utters one word in the entire film, I think, towards the end. She says mm-hmm. uh, grandfather, but she, she really encompasses that. Uh, love for her grandfather and really um, you know even I, I love the scene where he comes back and she just accepts him right away it's one of the um, you know most lovely scenes in the film she's not yeah, a very moving um, yeah she's not a I know del Toro references this when you know there's the scene where Greece um, you know puts his hand in his belly almost like a, a videodrome kind of moment but um, he references um, you know he had a Catholic upbringing and so he references uh, a doubting Thomas, mm-hmm. um, you know, as someone who has to feel the, uh, you know, the holes in, in Christ's hands, and the granddaughter is not. I mean, she just accepts him, even though he looks this way and looks kind of terrible. Um, she accepts him as uh, her grandfather and this man that she loves. Yeah, she does does not see the uh, the what he became. She right. she sees the emotion, and and that exists, and that's where I think Del Toro with these horror or you know these genres. He brings some humanity, which I probably said about yeah. five times already. Um, and it's true. Now, after I saw this the first time, I, I thought I was a genius. I picked up on uh, you know these mortality themes and, uh, and death and, and religion too. And then I listened to the commentary, and um, uh, it was as obvious as it could be. Um, he, <laughs> he was going for these things, and he actually kind of um, uh, gives his his process. What you know, he's going for the resurrection and uh, right. and and the crucifixion, the stigmata. Yeah, but and and also the the name is Jesus yeah, Greece. Jesus Greece. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and I know he's Mexican. I, at first, I thought you know, you know, Jesus is a common name, but uh, then yeah, as you see some other signs, uh, there is a, a huge uh, Catholic uh, and Christian Catholic uh, uh, th- theme there too. Um, of, right. But a different type of uh, resurrection, a different type of delivery. Um, right. Yeah. He was he was brought up Catholic, and you know, he, of course, he um, you know. Uh, at the beginning or at the end, he says this is for his grandmother, and his v- grandmother was a devout Catholic. Yeah, um, and uh, it's funny the the essay mentions how she actually she didn't like the fact that he had these kind of macabre tendencies, Del Toro. So she performed a couple of exorcisms on him. So if you can imagine <laughs> your grandmother performing exorcisms on you, uh, but he ended that, up okay. That's pretty devout. Yeah, <laughs> right. that actually could have could have inspired some of his films. Uh, right. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's not exactly a flattering portrayal of uh, religion, I, I would say. I, I would actually—I I get the impression that—in uh, fact, Del Toro admits that he's not a practicing Catholic, but mm-hmm. but the thing is, once you're raised Catholic, it doesn't matter if you go to church every Sunday or even Easter and Christmas, you're, you're still a Catholic. It's kind of right. like a nationality in that way. Yeah. So uh, so he he does feel like he—that's he, he, part of him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say that he—it's— uh, probably a part that uh, he doesn't favor as much he, he as he said in the commentary regarding the mystic he is a skeptic so I, I think 
I'm guessing probably an atheist, but but you know, I think religion is a good way of exploring themes, especially with horror. Yeah, yeah. Whether whether you're a believer or not, you know, and like you said, mm-hmm. it certainly um, informs what he's going for, what interests him. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't make a film of, of this nature, uh, taking on this this myth, if he uh, wasn't, you know. Um, mm-hmm. interested in the, you know, the subject matter. I, I think, too, you know, getting back to Jesus as a character, it made me think of um, him as, I mean, if you want to talk about him as a, as a Christ figure, he's not, you know, Christ is, um, you know, he's the, the son of God, but he's, um, and he's not just a man, but he's still a man, right? Mm-hmm. So what I thought of with, with Jesus is, you know, someone who is, given this gift of eternal life, but is not really ready for the burden, you know, the yeah, gifts of great, eternal yeah. life. Um, and it's similar to, you know, the the Christ figure who is, you know, um, praying and why have you forsaken me? And, mm-hmm. you know, it do, doesn't really um, want this gift. So, yeah, it, I, I, I don't know. I kind of put those two uh, together in this character. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, thinking about the movie itself, I, I think it, uh, makes the film richer for what you know Dator brings to it. You know that kind of that you know that Catholic upbringing. Yeah, and you know I think anytime religion play, plays a part in art, it often intertwines with themes of death and mortality. And if you right. think about it, religion addresses those. You know the the human condition. Yeah, you know pe- people don't want to think about uh, you know the, what what where they'd go other than uh, than heaven. And so I, I think that uh, through his portrayal of the passion. Um, and if you think about, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be sacrilegious here, so people mm-hmm. don't, uh, don't blow me up my Twitter or anything. But, uh, you know, you kind of wonder, we, we didn't see the real Jesus, but when he resurrected, you know, who knows what that was like, uh, you know, assuming you believe, I guess. But maybe Del Toro is saying that the actual passion was more like the one of Jesus Greece. Right. Not exactly glamorous. Maybe it was, maybe he was reluctant, you know, and, and in the Bible, you know, the, the why have you forsaken me? It, it seems like it's it's a little bit of there's there, well, there's definitely torture. He's on a cross mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while. So, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think there's some connection. There's pain and passion. Uh, there's torture and then there's delivery. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, you know, and and living through. I mean, he really uh, his. I think his life is. Um, you know, he lives through his granddaughter, right? So right. Um, right. Yeah. And Jesus lives through us. Uh, right, that's, that's the message. And I, I'm yeah. not being not being facetious. I think that is the that's the message. Uh, yeah. That's that's a tenet of uh, Christianity. Yeah. So one, you know, one other thing I wanted to, to getting away from the Christianity a little bit, I wanted to uh, just bring up as a something that stood out to me is: Did you notice the um, the raincoat later in the film that uh, Aurora wears? The granddaughter. I couldn't help but think of "Don't Look Now." <laughs> so, oh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I did, I didn't, but, uh, but yeah. Now, come to think of it, I, I, I see. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, those two films are not uh, connected. So, um, right, right. Yeah. That was really anyway. the only connection I, you know, I, I thought of. But yeah, well, we Blue we and red. we expected this to be a, a lighter uh, uh, episode, but we got a little deeper. I That's guess. Right. But, that <laughs> right. I, that speaks to the quality of the film that yeah. uh, that, that there there is room, and I'm sure if I rewatched it a handful of times more i'd probably uh get extract some more uh themes from it so uh so good on you uh, del toro <laughs> yeah yeah good good first film uh, brought yeah. his vision to life so what would you rate the uh the film aaron the film well itself? you know i as as i think you've 
you can tell I did like this, and uh, and I, I had heard some mixed things, and that might be why I procrastinated watching this. You know, I've seen, I, I will say, go on record that I like The Devil's Backbone quite a bit, mm. and of course, Pans. But uh, I didn't expect to like this one nearly as much, uh, but I did. Uh, I, I, there are some some imperfect imperfections. <laughs> Uh, but and and actually in the commentary he mentions that uh, some of the, uh, the there are technological restraints that so they had to use more physical. Um, sure. Uh, and I, actually, I think that worked in the film's favor. Yeah. I think uh, some some CG would have actually hurt it. So yeah, I, I did like it. I didn't like uh, Perlman as much, even though I, I like him usually. Yeah. So, but I'd say a strong seven five, and maybe grading a little bit on a curve because I, you know, we've seen what where this would take Del Toro in his career. And also mm-hmm. that this was his first uh, first attempt, uh, not not including his student film. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. Um, I I'm probably in lockstep with what is on IMDb. They the audience gives it a six seven. Uh, critics give it a seven. I think it's a, a seven. It's a really solid film. It needs to be seen. Uh, if you you know if you I'd be surprised if this is your first Del Toro film, but it's sure. one that you know, needs to be seen. You can see the, the influences. I mean, as far as the first film, it's very impressive, very well um, thought out and uh, carried out. And I mean, the Kronos device, some of the, some of my favorite scenes are the ones just inside oh, um, yeah. that, uh, that device that they captured so well. So really, uh, really well uh, Again, done. the CG, you know, that, that would be CG today. And, and you know, exactly. like say, say Hugo has some clocks, you know, it, it could be good CG, but um well, maybe not in the early '90s. Right, uh, just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, good, good film. I'm glad we're in agreement. Yeah, uh, I good, guess we're good pro- on Del Toro. <laughs> probably not going to canonize it, but uh, <laughs> right, right. So, how about the the supplements? Of some pretty good, you know, good stuff in here. Uh, we're just going to touch on them a little bit. I, th- th- really, more on the two standouts. Um, right. You know, there are some interviews here that are are good, and we did mention mm-hmm. the uh, the commentaries. Any any other thoughts on the Del Toro commentary? One thing I did forget, he did mention one influence, and that was uh, George George uh, Frenju's I, I, "I Just Without a Face." That's right. Uh, yeah. He did point out a nod to it, and and there might have been some more. Um, oh, and he also pointed out that it was inspired by a uh, Poe story. Another connection to our shortcuts, short takes. Yeah, uh, yeah he talked about a lot of the, what we've talked about here. Uh, one thing I did, he did mention that I, I that I didn't really pick up on as a theme, and and I still really don't see too much. I guess I see it a little bit, but he said that he, you know, this was the early '90s, and he was going for a quote multilingual and vampirized Mexico, which he imagined would be like a post-NAFTA Mexico, mm. and this was filmed around the time that NAFTA was uh, being form- formulated, you know, passed and all that. So, um, right. the North American Free Trade Agreement. So, I, I guess he expected it to be Mexico to become a little more Americanized, uh, which didn't, you know, maybe a little bit. It's definitely been impacted but it's not not to the extent that he visualized so that's why he brought in Perlman as an English-speaking character and uh, and, and the way he portrayed some uh, I guess industry um, I won't say anything about today's political situation in Mexico but uh, yeah definitely taking a different turn there yeah I, I liked how uh, Perlman speaks to that in the interview too and he's you know how he he tried to he's like why does del Toro want me I don't speak Spanish he yeah. tried to to read Spanish. It was so bad that he said, you know, the Torah said it was unusable. But he's like, let's eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. A couple guys that uh, that love to eat. So and he, yeah, he he did work in there. You know, him <laughs> him speaking English. So yeah. let's eat, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Fixes uh, everything. 
What about the uh, producer's commentary? Yeah, I did listen to that. Uh, both of these were recorded in 2002, so I, I believe they're from an earlier DVD release. Uh, this film has had uh, a few different releases. I, I know, you know, Del Toro said he's tried to bring it to to light as much as he can. Of course, this being the defining one, and uh, it's good. You know, I, I like the, the the commentator. Well, it's with it's both English and Spanish commentary. It includes producers uh, Arthur mm-hmm. Gorson, Bertha Navarro, and Alejandro Springal. Um, and there are breaks during the film where there's no commentary. I, I'm kind of on, I like Del Toro's. I did listen to it a little bit. I, I'd rather just hear thoughts on the film, you know, because usually if I'm watching the commentary, I've, I've, you know, I've already seen the film. Sure. So I could have actually used more, but, um, and it sounds like it was recorded separately uh, because the tracks, they kind of talk about each other a little bit like they, they, they weren't there and praise, <laughs> praise each other. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, so some interesting, you know, pieces on the, the production itself, um, talking about the actors, like you mentioned, Claudio Brook, who was in um, uh, Simone of the Desert and Exterminating mm-hmm. Angel and um, in the Viva Maria, the, the Mao film. Um, so, you know, interesting watch. Um, you get a little bit of insight into the Mexican film industry, bringing films to light there. Um, Del Toro's, you know, special effects shop, uh, Necropia, uh, which was in uh, Guadalajara. I'm not going to try to say it. Guadalajara. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's a first. <laughs> Good work. We always pick each other up there. Yeah. And uh, it, it 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 did very well in Mexico. It won nine Academy Awards yeah. there. So um, yeah, kind of bombed here. It's uh, surprising. Yeah. 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 Well, Probably, it's not. You know. Yeah. Um, actually, that that was covered on the Criterion essay a little bit. Uh, the reasoning yeah. behind it. It was just overshadowed by. You know, a lot of non-Mexican things, and people don't want to read their movies. Yeah, so we don't like to read our movies, apparently. We sure don't. But Pans, people read that one. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. So, well, good, good commentaries, and uh, yeah. So, and there's on this film, there is a short from Del Toro, Geometria. Geometria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, it was uh, his student film. And in fact, I, when I first watched it, I thought, man, this is a very accomplished student film. And, and I'm sure it was fine, but he uh, he he tweaked it a little bit. Yeah, and tinkered. He, did, he didn't say how much, but I have a feeling he's, um, you know, he has a lot of m- money now, as evident from uh, Bleak House. You know, he has a right. house with his stuff, uh, and, and he probably has money enough for a few houses with his stuff. Maybe he has a few houses now. Yeah. But, but you know, he definitely has tinkered with it, and it's kind of like an old toy of his. And uh, yeah, at least uh, Greedo didn't shoot first in, in this version. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I, I think it's it's good. It's okay. It's uh, it, it is gross. You know, I think yeah. it it's probably of all his films that I've seen, it, it does have the most horror. And and he, he there was an interview that accompanies it, and he uh, he says it was uh, he was going for a giallo. Mm-hmm. He, he does cite Baba and Argento, um, and you definitely see that there. Uh, and he he doesn't he, he was not a fan of it. He says, "quote It was not up there uh, with the rest of his work." Uh, and yeah, one thing that was interesting is it was just shot over the weekend, and yeah. the, there were two characters, and one of them was his mother, his mom. Yeah, and, and I think that's funny that <laughs> what you know that she was she performed exorcists on him, and then she just you know years later decided to appear in this gross film. Uh, I wonder right. what she thought of the final product, but. Um, yeah, anyway, it, it was interesting to see in hindsight, again, with uh, knowing Del Toro, kind of like Kronos, and uh, and we do see elements of 
giallo, but we don't see them as head-on as we see in Geometria. So yeah, I, I thought it was good, passable, not not exactly his best work, but you know, yeah. you wouldn't expect that from a student film. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it both times. I, I have watched it a couple times. I mean, made for two thousand dollars, and it. I mean, it certainly um, would influence. I mean, show the influence of his later films because it was. He mentioned he um, did kind of lean on the amber and cyan colors, and you get the saturated lighting. Um, you know that Del Toro uses now, but this one does. You know, look a lot like. You know, it's got the the coloring of a and uh, of a and saturation of a. Uh, giallo film but, yeah. definitely yeah yeah a lot, of, lot of fun very very funny you know the 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 filmmaker i thought of the most with this was um you know there's a connection there is peter jackson you know thinking of like dead alive or something like that with yeah the, yeah the horror. For, certainly um you know oh you know that's certainly an, an influence on his all his work probably the early jacksons so yeah good yeah. good call must be Mm-hmm. So the other one, and we're, we're both going to talk about this a little bit. I'd, I'd seen this before, and this is one that's worth revisiting. Is of course, Welcome to Bleak House. Um, you know, if I can ever get a man cave, Aaron, <laughs> this is what it's going to look like. Man, could you just not help but identify with that? Oh my goodness, that is the coolest thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. he is one of us. Uh, totally, of us. just one he has more us. money. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's been collecting for 40 years, so, you know, all the toys, all the books, and, you know, if we had toys and books, we'd probably have a lot of the same stuff he had. I mean, he had oh, some, sure. you know, some stuff from uh, Miyazaki. You know, he almost had a whole cabinet of just Miyazaki stuff. Yeah, um, I think I could have free, freeze-framed this and just... Uh, um, I gotten did. something out of, oh you did I did I free frame I freeze framed the Miyazaki part I'm like I gotta see cool. what's in yeah, there yeah I didn't pick up on that so uh, <laughs> and I, I'm sure if he invited us over uh, Guillermo can, can we or Mr. Del Toro can we visit uh, can can we come please. over please, <laughs> please. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, yeah we'll bring we'll bring food let's eat <laughs> yeah let's eat <laughs> yeah uh, mm. and, and also he had Criterion uh, there was uh, I couldn't tell I didn't freeze frame it but it looked like Europa was on his TV Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he he definitely that. is one of us. Uh, and I'd say he's more of us uh, more in the collectible aspect because I probably would not get the toys um, right. as much as he did and all that. Uh, but definitely the media. I, I, I love the books. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big comic guy, but I, I love his comic book collection. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of our, and you know, he's got separate separate rooms for each, you know, separate libraries. You know, we've got the the horror occult room, a lot of old, right. you know, seventeenth century work there. Um, some original, a, a lot of. I, I like how, um, you know, it's not just his stuff, and it's not that he doesn't include his stuff. You know, his stuff is kind of interspersed with um, his influences. Um, nice to to see. Yeah, that. and you can see that too. The and and also just the fact that he's a collector of stuff. You know, he does feature objects prominently as he did in Kronos. Right. So you can, that, that might be a product of just his desire to collect things that might yeah. have informed his aesthetic. Yeah. He had a Harryhausen cabinet too. How yeah, cool was that? that? Was cool. Yeah. And, and then uh, he, he was, had a, a rain room, which was under construction and he couldn't show us. Uh, so yeah, we yeah, need Bleak it, House too. We need the continuation. We do. And I, maybe it's not on pans or devils, is, is it? I don't know. No, he hasn't shown it yet. So okay. Well, um, yeah. I, I guess I'm. Even though I didn't love it, I guess I'm rooting for Cr- Crimson Peak and the uh, the collection. Just That's to, right. Uh, <laughs> or maybe Pacific Rim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I and I, I thought of this too. I I think um, Ryan Gallagher, of course, our 
um, the our mainstay at uh, uh, Criterion Cast. I think he did the same thing where the the reasoning that Bleak House came to be was, of course, a place to house all of his stuff. And what really put his wife over the edge was he he was. Uh, putting some kind of scary poster in the kitchen and (laughs) (laughs) she's like, okay, enough, you know, we Mm. can't, we can't do this. We can't scare our kids this way. So I think that's what I'm going to do, Aaron, just so I can get a bleak house is I'm going to put a scary poster in the kitchen and see if I can open up a a separate, you know, warehouse of of stuff. Well, we know from the last episode that the house poster would not work. So try, try another. Yeah. My my daughter, uh, kitty cat. (laughs) Kitty cat. Oh, how cute. So, and there was, you know, one line I just wanted to pull out of this. I can't believe I'm pulling a line out of a supplement, but I I loved how Del Del Toro is, um, you know, kind of, I mean, he's, he's almost like a big kid, right? And he, he teaches us to be, um, to stay young in that he says, yeah, he says, um, we lose curiosity, we lose inventive, uh, when we lose curiosity and inventiveness, we become old. So Mm -hmm. if he's telling you something you know, if you want to stay young, stay curious about other, you know, whatever it is about the world. <laughs> Pick something <laughs> and study it. So. Yeah, I, I think that's great, great advice. Yeah. Uh, and my takeaway is he said he has 7,000 films in that room. <laughs> <He does. laughs> I wanted to see those. Oh, but, my uh, goodness. DVDs, Laserdiscs, Betamaxes, VHS. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. He didn't show Good us job. that room, but uh, kudos to, yeah, 7,000 films. I'm... I think I'm at about a quarter of that. So right, <laughs> uh, but I, I I didn't build a house around it, so maybe right. I need to. That's what we need to do. Yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so yeah. So those are the supplements. So I mean, overall Criterion package. What would you give it, Aaron? You know, it it is stacked and it is a lot of fun. And I think Bleak House really does. Uh, even though it's it's only what 15, 20 minutes somewhere yeah, in between. Yeah. Really punctuates uh, the the disc and, and it really gives us a, a our feel of del toro really feels like he did kind of curate this disc for us just with that so yeah i i love the disc uh because of that and and we didn't talk about the interviews but they're all pretty good yeah the one with uh loopy was uh actually had a lot of behind the scenes stuff that was fun yeah didn't see that otherwise yeah yeah so i'm actually going to give it a nine i thought it was a, a great disc a worthy disc of uh del toro's uh debut yeah yeah what about I- you I, I think I'm, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I could almost go ten because I think it's got so much uh, to it. And it's got two two commentaries, but probably if we saw this on you know a film like uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I'd probably would yeah. give it a ten. But yeah, just really solid, you know, solid nine uh, release from Criterion. It, it feels like this is the disc for his first film that Del Toro would want to put forth. So yeah, I'm is. sure he's pleased with it. So yeah, exactly. And we already said uh, not quite canon worthy. Uh, there might be a later film of his, his that maybe would be, but yeah, not quite there. Maybe, maybe one, maybe two. We'll see someday. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about them later. Yep. So that was uh, our first Guillermo del Toro film in Kronos, and of course, covering his first film. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to some more from him later. Hope folks enjoyed the uh, the discussion. Uh, really glad to talk to you about it. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah good time well thanks everyone for listening um to criterion close-up we'd love to get some more itunes reviews and uh, some feedback uh still looking for feedback on house and you know want to know you know what is your connection to guillermo del toro do you have a a favorite film of his would like to hear your thoughts so email us at uh, criterion close up uh, feedback at criterion (laughs) close-up.com and uh, facebook slash criterion close-up and at 
Criterion CU on Twitter. And since we'll be covering uh, Pan's Labyrinth in a, in a few weeks, we might bring uh, some of those comments about Del Toro uh, onto that show. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, good call. Yep, we'll we'll share your feedback. Aaron, where can folks find you? Uh, I am a West five hundred five. And I just want to say that I was on vacation, and I met a, a, a high school friend or a college friend of my wife's, and that person asked what it was like podcasting professionally. <laughs> oh, professionally. Oh, are we a professional podcast here? Yeah, I, I had to tell her about my day job. That was... Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. But no, I... Um, you, you told I, her it doesn't pay the bills, huh? Okay. That's right. So yeah. uh, my Twitter is an extension of the podcast, but I, I like to tweet a few other things here and there, too. So Right, exactly. What about you, sir? Same uh, Twitter at Mark Herney, H U R N E. A lot of plugging of the show. We've and, got um, to. Next, uh, our next show, we're going to be delving into our first Coen Brothers film that we've talked about. We were going to yeah. do Lewin Davis at one point, didn't get to, so we'll touch on another first film, uh, Blood Simple. That's right. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, uh, I didn't even think of that, but yeah. We didn't plan that. So <laughs> Nice back to back there. And I, one day I want to do Lewin Davis too, so we'll exactly. just shelve that. Uh, so. Uh, Blood Simple. I don't think we said the name, so that that's our uh, our episode next week. Yeah, and uh, we'll have a repeat guest repeat guest come back for that. So we'll look forward to that next time. Yeah, uh, cool guy. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Criterion Close Up. <laughs>